don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that we are loved by God. And uh, our identity doesn't come from what this world says that we are, but it comes from who God says we are. And that is someone who is loved. And uh, I want to thank Rachel just for sharing what she felt God put on her heart this morning. You know, God doesn't just speak through me or Zoe or, you know, whoever's leading in that part of the service. God speaks through all of us and each of us. And that's why we're a family of God and God uses us in different ways and in different gifts and stuff. So thanks, uh, uh, Rachel, for sharing what God put on your heart this morning. So we're continuing in our Breathe series this morning. J.R. Briggs did a uh, an amazing job last week of talking about a real difficult subject called Sabbath. And uh, I thought he did a great job. And uh, we're going to continue um, in that in this series this morning. Just before uh, we do that, though, uh, I just want to follow on from what Josh said about what's on your chairs, those surveys. Uh, if you could fill that out today sometime and um, and then just put it on the uh, uh, on the floor, just on the chair, uh, below the chair in front of you. Um, one of the reasons we're doing what these surveys is because we want to... Uh, identify and we want to help to encourage you in your faith, in your journey of faith. And one of the things as leaders, one of our responsibilities, the Bible says, is that, that we should help to equip and empower uh, the, 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 the assembly of saints or the, uh, uh, or the gathering of those who gather uh, within a local church. And so we want to get a hold of kind of where you're struggling in your faith and uh, where God is forming you in your faith and where you are thriving in your faith as well. So if you could fill those out sometime today, uh, that would be amazing. Leave them on the floor and we'll pick them up. Uh, um, after. So before we get into what we're going to do today, I want to do an exercise with you. And uh, I'm going to do one of those disclaimers that all those uh, uh, advertisements for uh, medication uh, says. Uh, if you are pregnant, if you are, have a high blood pressure, um, if you're feeling on death's door, then feel free not to participate in this this morning. But I want everyone to stand to their feet. So if everyone in the room can stand to their feet. And uh, we are going to play a little game, and the game is, who can hold their breath the longest this morning? Now, let me just put a disclaimer. The church is not responsible if you turn up in the ER after, okay? So uh, if you feel you're going to be in the ER, then just like, just don't hold your breath for very long. But we're going to hold our breath as long as we can this morning. And when you feel that you have no more, you cannot do it anymore, you have to breathe, then I want you to stay, uh, I want you to sit uh, on your chair and uh, it's going to be last man standing or last woman that's standing this morning. So in, I'm going to count to three and on the stroke of three, take a deep, big breath and then see how, whole, how long you can hold it. Okay. So one, two, three. Who's going to be the winner? It's going to be Cora. Is going to Pat? <laughs> Women against guys. Yeah. Boys against girls. Battle of the sexes. Cora's the winner. We're ahead. Hey, here's a uh, little gift card for you. That was impressive. And uh, hey, Pat, there we go. So that was pretty tough, right? I mean, that was pretty hard. That was like one of the most unnatural things that you can do, actually hold your breath for as long as you can. Now, why is it so hard to hold our breath? Why can't we hold our breath like a long time? Like, you know, like some animals can. Why is it so hard to hold our breath for a long time? Well, I'm not a science teacher. And so if you are a science person this morning, James is, you know, a science person. So if I'm wrong this morning, then please correct me. You know, I'm not the be all and end all of science. So, but this is what I know. It is hard to hold your breath for a long time 
Because for that small amount of, uh, uh, that small moment in time, you are stopping the oxygen from coming into your body, into your lungs, being inhaled in, and you are holding on to the carbon dioxide that needs to come out of your lungs. Is that correct? Right, okay. I think that was like first grade level, but I feel good. There are two problems that occur when we hold our breath. We reject what we need, and we hold on to what we release. We need to release. We reject what we need, and we hold on to what we need to release. That's easy to understand in a physical sense, in our physical bodies. We know that we need oxygen, and we know that somehow, miraculously, the oxygen goes into our lungs, and then what comes out is carbon dioxide that then the trees need and inhale, and then the trees give out oxygen. It's this wonderful cycle, but we know it is pretty obvious that we need to inhale oxygen in our lives, and then we need to release the carbon dioxide. But it's much harder to understand, in a spiritual sense, what our heart, our mind, and our soul need to inhale and exhale. When you think about how our world produces oxygen, it's kind of an amazing process. Think every single moment of your life, you are getting the free gift of oxygen into your lungs. That's an amazing fact that you will live your entire life and you will get the free gift that this world gives, which is oxygen. But what is equally incredible, which most people do not even recognize, is the free gift of life-giving breath that our soul can receive when we turn our hearts towards God. So in a physical sense, we receive this oxygen that we can't see, but we know it's there. But in a spiritual sense, when we turn towards God, we receive the free life-giving breath of God. Now, as we've been talking about this series, I've become more and more amazed and intrigued by what Job said in Job 33.4, when Job says, For the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The more I think about that, and the more I've meditated on it, and the more we study, we've been going through this series and I've studied it, the more I've been thinking, wow, Job just got it. Job understood what life was all about. Then I need to do whatever I can so I can position myself, so I'm not holding back, so I can receive and inhale the breath of the Almighty God, which gives us life. See, I think that most people who do not have Jesus in their lives are like people who live off respirators. People who live off a respirator, they have oxygen, they're still able to live. But they do not have the quality of life as people who can just breathe naturally and breathe fine. And, and, and they can just, just take in the oxygen and their body can process it and they can live. And those who know Christ are people, are like people who can just live and breathe naturally by themselves. The people who know Christ can live life to its fullest. They're not restricted by life. 
Their soul receives the breath of the Almighty, which gives life. And the Bible says that Jesus gives life and life to the full. So you can have the fullest life if you are close to Jesus. So if this is the case, then often I ask the question, why is it that those who have Christ are not always able to live to the fullness of Christ? Why is it that those who call themselves Christians believe of Jesus and have the life of Christ within them, why do they sometimes struggle to cope with their weak? Why do so many Christ followers lose sleep over fear and anxiety? Why do so many people who follow Jesus and follow the command of Jesus and, and, and on this spiritual journey and, and they're living their lives to trying to please God, why do they struggle? Why do they go through good moods and bad moods just like everybody else? Why do they have good days and bad days just like everybody else? Why is it that sometimes you cannot even tell a difference between those who love Christ and follow Christ and those who don't love Christ? Why is that? Well, I think there are many different reasons why that is the case. But one of the major culprits is because so many people who follow Christ are holding on to their breath. They're not releasing what needs to be released so they can't receive the fresh spiritual oxygen of the Almighty that gives them life and life to the full. There is a reluctance to release what is building up. So let's take a look at what Jesus says about all this. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 9 to 13. And for those of you who have been around church for a while, who know anything about the Bible, or maybe went to a school which was a, a Christian school or a faith-based school, you will understand and you will recognize this verse. And this is what it says. Jesus said in verse 9 of Matthew 6, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So many people know this as the Lord's Prayer. It is a model prayer that Jesus gave. It's in response to the disciples of Jesus said this, Jesus, teach us how to pray. So Jesus recited this prayer. Now, prayer is at the very core of our faith. Without prayer, you would have a sterile relationship with God. Without prayer, you wouldn't have a relationship with God. Because prayer is a form of communicating with God. And relationships that don't communicate often die. Now, there are many ways to pray, but here in Matthew 6, Jesus is giving us what is called the model prayer. Now, I will note that this is not a prayer to copy. Many people recite this prayer, and we've even done it here, and, 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 and I've even recited this prayer. And that is not, not bad to do. You can recite this prayer. But the purpose of this prayer that Jesus gave was not to copy. In fact, it was a model to show us how to communicate with God. 
in order to bring the fullness of God into our faith. Now in verse 12, we see what I would call the key that unlocks the door to a greater life in Jesus Christ. Without doing what Jesus models in verse 12, we will be like a person who is holding our breath and not allowing the oxygen of our soul to enter into our being. And so what does verse 12 say? It says this, And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. I think one of the biggest challenges a person has in life is to be able to confess what is wrong in their own lives and to look over what is wrong in other people's lives. Simply put, we need as believers of Jesus to become experts in the simple practice of releasing confession and forgiveness. We need to be experts in the simple practice of releasing confession and forgiveness. So let's start with confession first. Let's look at what happens when we fail to confess. Now the word confession, it means a lot of different things for a lot of different people, but for the majority of people, it it has this almost negative view to it, confession. For those of you, if you grew up in, in, in a Catholic upbringing, then you regularly went to confession where you would have to confess all the things that you did wrong to a priest, hoping that that priest would forgive you and that you would be forgiven of those sins. And many people have a negative view of that upbringing and, and that practice. Now for me, I'm, an, I'm a kid of the 90s. And in the 90s, the biggest show on TV was the Jerry Springer show. So confession, for me, when I hear confession, it's like, uh-oh, da-da-da-da, you know? Something big is going to happen. It's going to be a big fight on the Jerry Springer show stage and stuff like that. That's what I was thinking when I think confession. Also, when we think about confession, we think of a person on trial in a court of law, and they are making a confession. Often confession can mean humiliation for some people. Confession can mean many different negative pieces of imagery in our minds. Why is confession so hard? Why is confession so hard? Is it because we don't want people to see us differently? Is it because we don't want people to see what really is in our hearts, the things we have really done? Is it because we don't want to let people down? Is it because we're often ashamed of what we're confessing confessing to? Is it because we, we don't want people to see us in a different light than what they see us in? And this is a problem. Because confession is good for the soul. You've all heard that phrase, right? Confession is good for the soul. But why is it good for the soul? Because it is a form of releasing what is within so that then you can receive from God. Think of confession as your lungs exhaling the carbon dioxide of your soul. Let's take a look at what happened to someone who failed to confess. His name was David, and he wrote a psalm about it. He wrote a song about it. It's almost like a country song, this one is. And so this is what he says in Psalm 32. He says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, 
whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, though whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Then he says this, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, he says, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. I love this psalm. And I love the creative language that David uses. See, what happened, David kept his sin to himself. He concealed the sin to himself. And he starts using this creative language, like, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long, like he was miserable all day long. He says, my my life was like the water being dried up in the summer heat. So if you think of a country song, it's almost like, you know, my my, my dog left me, my wife left me, you know. All I had left was some Jack Daniels and life was just bad, you know. I mean, that's what country songs are all about, right? That's what they, and that's almost what it feels like here. Like when I kept the sin in me, when I can it and did not release it, my life was not going very well. And this is what happens when we don't confess our sin. Then he had a change of spirit and change of mind. He started to confess his sin to God. And the change in his spirit and his attitude and his posture is amazing. It's compelling. Once he owns up to his mistakes and tells God, the heaviness is lifted. The strength returns. There is joy and smiles once again. He is receiving the breath of the Almighty. The dog returns. The woman returns. And now he's drinking water. You know? This is what happens when we confess sin. Proverbs 28, 13 tells us, people who conceal their sin do not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Now, if there is ever a verse in the Bible that should show us that we should not conceal it to ourselves, but we should practice the acts of confession, it is this verse. People who conceal their sins do not prosper. And I don't know about you, but I think all of us want to prosper in life. It is not that God needs to hear your sin, though. Because so often we think, well, just God needs to hear my sin. Like, you know, God is one of those people. It's like he, he, he just wants to lord it on me, you know, my sins and all the things I've done wrong. It's not that God needs to hear your sins. For God knows your heart. It is not that God wants to hear your sins. For Jesus already knows your sins. It's not that God wants to feel how bad you feel about yourself because the Holy Spirit already feels how you feel. It is not for God's sake that you are to confess your sins, but in fact, it is for your sake that you are to confess your sins. See, when you conceal sin, it is like building up a brick wall that is stopping the breath of the Almighty filling your soul with fresh oxygen. It's like holding your breath so you can't receive any more oxygen in your life. 
the Apostle John, in one of his epistles, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, says this. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So John is saying here that all of us have sinned. We've all got stuff in our lives that need to be confessed. It's not that we don't have anything and some have, you know, so, so, some people, they need to confess their sins, but I'm good. No, we all have sin that we need to confess. And if we confess that sin, then we are saying that God's word is in our hearts. And this is the amazing truth. When we confess it, the Bible says that God is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. That that guilt will be removed. Just as when you exhale carbon dioxide, it does not stay in your body, it gets released. And when you confess that sin, that sin gets released from you. It's an amazing truth. See, with unconfessed sin in your heart, that sin is growing and crowding out the fullness of the life of Christ within you. So it is good practice to continually confess our sins. Now, some people are great at confessing, right? You've always met that person. It's like too much information, people. Like they'll confess all day, every day, all the bad things that they've done. They have no problem in confessing. And really, you know, I would love to be like that person. That I have no inhibitions and, you know, I really don't care what people think about me. As long as, you know, I'm confessing my sin. I'm an open book. That's fine. But confession is only half the battle. There is another breath holder that stops God from giving life and all the life he can give. And it is a disease, I believe, and it's called the disease of unforgiveness. The disease of unforgiveness. Jesus is very clear. Jesus actually talks a lot about forgiveness. In the Bible, he talks about how to forgive, when to forgive, how many times to forgive. But we're not going to deal with that this morning because we'd be here till next week talking about what Jesus says about forgiveness. But this is what I want us to do this morning. I want us to let, take a look at what happens when we forgive. Now Jesus is very clear. He says, if you want God to forgive you, then you must forgive others. There is no room for an unforgiving heart to those who follow God. Jesus said this, just a little later, after Jesus gives this model prayer and teaches us how to pray. And he, in it, he says that, you know, we are to confess our sins to God. If Ask God to forgive us of our sins and we forgive those who sin against us. And then a couple of verses later, Jesus says this in verse 14. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Now, this is a scary verse. I read this, you read this on face value, and you're like, this is a scary verse. Because are you telling me that 
Jesus has promised that if we believe in him and we confess that he is Lord, then we have forgiveness of sins. But there's an exception. If we don't forgive others, God will not forgive us. My theology, when I read stuff like this, goes all over the place. Like, what, what is Jesus actually meaning? In fact, Jesus also said in Mark 20, uh, 11, 25, he says, But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your, heaven, uh, your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Another scary verse, like, what does this actually mean? How can Jesus promise one, but then take it back with another verse? However, I don't think this is what Jesus is saying. See, when we fail to forgive, we are failing to release what needs to be released. When we hold on to a situation that has hurt us, who has scarred us, we are stopping the new life of Christ from entering Meaning the life-changing forgiveness of Jesus is not continually renewing our life because there's no room for the breath of God. Because we are holding on to it. We are starving our soul of the forgiveness it needs because we are refusing to release others of the wrongs they have done. Now think about that for a moment. When we have unforgiveness in our hearts, that unforgiveness is stopping the very life and forgiveness of Christ from continually renewing us. I don't know about you, but I don't need the forgiveness of Jesus once. I need the forgiveness of Jesus almost every moment of my life. I guarantee you can feel like a saint today. Tomorrow morning you will go to work or to school or wherever you may go. And you will end up and you will feel like a sinner again. Especially if your boss is in a bad mood or that co-worker has done something. Or you have a commute on I-95 in the morning. You know you feel like a sinner, right? Because continually we need the forgiveness of sins. And if that forgiveness is stopping the life of Christ coming into us, it's stopping the very renewal of our heart and our soul. Think about what Jesus did for a moment. Jesus hung on a cross. When Jesus hung on a cross, Jesus had been beaten. He had been spat upon. He'd been called all sorts of names. He had been laughed at. But yet Jesus had a spear stuck in his side, nails in his hands. And this is what he cried out on the cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Now, how did Jesus muster up the energy to forgive? You know, if someone is beating me and someone is spitting on me and someone is laughing at me and someone has put a spear in my side and they've hung me on a tree to die, I'm thinking about my life. I'm not thinking about other people at that moment, right? If there is one moment you can be selfish in your life, that would, I think, would be the moment you could be selfish. But Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. See, Jesus understood in that moment more than ever, he needed the life-giving breath of the Almighty. He needed to empty himself to be filled with the life of God. And Jesus understood This, that the only thing that unforgiveness does is harms your own soul. 
And if you have unforgiveness towards somebody, whatever the reason, however legitimate the reason, the only thing that unforgiveness is doing is harming your own soul. I wonder if you have some unforgiveness in your heart. I wonder if you're holding on to it. I can't let it go. It hurt me too much. The only thing it's doing is harming your own soul. See, this is what forgiveness does. Forgiveness becomes the gateway to receiving a fuller and fresher life. When you choose to forgive, you now are emptying yourself so now you can receive even more from God. So back in 2010, I wrote a letter to somebody who had hurt me very much. Said things about me. Did things to hurt me. And I sat down and I wrote this letter. And everything in me wanted to write this letter and say how bad that person had been. But instead, God got a hold of me. And I knew it was God because there's no way I would have written this letter myself. And this is what I wrote in the letter. Forgive me for doing this, 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 and this. Started to understand the things I'd done in, in the breakdown of that relationship. And then I ended up saying, and I want to honestly say, I forgive you for the things that I have felt that you've done against me. And I sent that letter off. And you know what happened? It was like the heaviest weight in my life had been lifted. You know how David said when he had unconfessed sin, he groaned all day. I felt like I was groaning. I felt like the heaviness of life was on me. And as soon as I mailed that letter, it was like lifted. And there's only been a few times in my life where I have struggled to forgive somebody because of how much they have hurt me. But this is what I know. I have discovered that I have never regretted forgiving someone. And I've never gone backwards when I've confessed my sin. How about that? I've never regretted forgiving someone and I've never gone back when I've confessed my sin. What are the two reasons why we often don't want to confess our sin and forgive? We don't want to confess our sin because we think if we confess it, everyone's going to find out about who I am and I'm going to go backwards. But I've discovered I've never gone backwards when I've confessed sin. And why don't we want to forgive? Well, obviously, because it hurts us, but because we don't think that person deserves to be forgiven. Or that person may do it again if we forgive them and forget about it. But I've never regretted forgiving someone. Confession and forgiveness are not just acts we do when the situation warrants. But they are daily practices that move us forward each and every day. Just as with each breath, you inhale oxygen and each exhale, you release carbon dioxide into the air. 
So the more of Christ you inhale, the more confession and forgiveness becomes second nature to you. For you start to understand I need more of Christ. That means I need to release more of me. So this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to move into a time where we're going to have communion together. And I want to ask you two questions as we move into this time. And we're going to put them on the screen and the questions are this. What do you need to confess before God? What do you need to confess before God? And the second question is this. Who do you need to forgive? Are you holding your breath this morning? Stopping the life of Christ being able to be fed into you. What do you need to confess before God? What do you need to forgive? Before we enter into communion and we pray over this, these questions and evaluate ourselves, I want to read to you what the Apostle Paul said about the Lord's Supper, communion. He says this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. It says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and says, This is my body, which is forgiven which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So, Paul says, if anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord, that is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that... We will not be condemned along with the world. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. So in this moment, this morning, I want you to bow your heads in prayer. And I'm going to ask those two questions to you again. What do you need to confess before God? And who do you need to forgive? Just in this quiet moment before we take off the bread and the wine. 
that symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us when he hung on that tree and he died for our sins. I want us to examine ourselves. And in this moment, we're going to wait for one another. And if you have sin in your life, I want you in this moment between you and God to confess it before God. Confess it in your heart, knowing that He is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins. If you have unforgiveness towards someone else, I want you to start releasing that person or that situation. Start saying, yes, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let go. I'm not going to hold on. I'm not going to have a grudge. I'm not going to let this destroy my life anymore. But I'm going to breathe out confession and breathe out forgiveness today. So let's just take a moment to do that in this place. Just for time's sake this morning, when you keep examining your hearts, and I believe God is doing some things in people's lives this morning. But when you feel ready, and when you've let out that breath of confession and let out that breath of forgiveness, then just in your own time, take that little cup that's on your chair and there's a little wafer on the top, you can peel back the film and take that as a symbol of God's body which was broken for us. And then after you've taken the bread, then peel back the second film and take the cup and drink the cup which symbolizes the blood, which means a new covenant, which means there is forgiveness of sins for those who trust in God. I ask you if you want to stand this morning. And as you stand, we're going to do something. Nothing spiritual in this. Just a symbol of what I believe God is doing in our hearts and our souls today. I want us as a church to take a deep breath. Hold it for a moment. And then breathe out. Let's take a breath this morning. And exhale. Let that exhale this morning symbolize to you the letting go of the sin in your life that maybe you've concealed in your heart. Let that breath out that you, that you breathed, let it symbolize the letting go of unforgiveness that you have towards somebody else or something in your life. Let this week be a week where we will practice what Jesus described in the Lord's Prayer when He said, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So let me just pray this morning before we leave. And as I pray, I'm believing that this week you're going to receive greater life from Christ because you're leaving room for the breath of the Almighty that gives life into you. No matter what situations in your life, no matter what anyone else has done, this is about you and God this morning. 
to receive the breath of the Almighty. So Father God, this morning, we thank you that you are the one that gives life. God, we thank you that you are the one that fills our lungs with breath this morning. And Father God, we just come before you in this place today. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that what we have confessed to you, that you will stand by your word and you will be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, that you will wipe the slate clean, remember them no more, God. That we may be able to move on and receive more of you. Father, in this place today, those who've made that brave decision to release and forgive. Father, I pray, Lord, that they will not regret it. But Lord, in return, that you will fill their lives with greater joy. God, that you will fill their lives with greater life. That they will see the fullness of Christ in all of its glory this week in their lives because they have chosen to release Now, God, as we have released in confession and forgiveness, we inhale the breath of God this morning, the breath that gives us life. We ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.